Hosanna. Hosanna. Well, welcome. It's Palm Sunday. Grab your Bible and turn with me. We'll be in Luke 19 and John 12 today in both of those passages of Scripture. Here on Palm Sunday, commemorating the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. In fact, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy. We find it in Zechariah 9.9, declaring uh, hundreds of years before this took place, prophesying that this would happen 2,000 years ago on this triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday, the prophecies are coming to pass right before their eyes. Here Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, going to set into motion a, a series of events that will lead to his betrayal, that will lead to his crucifixion, that will lead to his resurrection, which we will celebrate next Sunday on Easter. An amazing thing happened as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. It was like pandemonium would be my guess. As we begin to study the scriptures around this triumphal entry, people were doing everything they could to get to Jesus, waving palm branches, taking off cloaks and putting it on the ground to, to pave the way for this one to come riding in, the, the king. It was, it was exciting. It was controlled or lack of controlled chaos. Now our kids, as they came through and waved the palm branches today, they did a good job. They, they stayed in line. They held the hand of the older child next to them. They followed their teacher, and it wasn't that crazy. But I, I do have to, you know, admit that in first service, I took a palm branch to the face. I got a little too close to one of the kids. And as it, as it struck me in the face, I thought, you know what? On this Palm Sunday, I don't think everybody just kind of stood and, and just did it in motion. They were, they were getting everything, attention they could. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So much so that in John 12, it tells us that the Pharisees are hacked off. John and Luke talked to us about how the Pharisees are so mad. They say, control your disciples. Control the people following you. This is a problem. This is the scene. Have you ever asked yourself, why? Why are these people gathering to give praise, to say Hosanna to Jesus? Well, the Apostle John tells us in his account that this occurred shortly after Lazarus was raised from the dead. There are all these people there who had saw what had happened. Everybody agreed that Lazarus was dead. He was in the, the, the grave. He was there in this, this damp, dark grave for four days. And Jesus raises him to life. When you see somebody raise someone from the dead, you begin to pay attention. And the people began to spread this message about what Jesus did. And, and they began to say, you know what? If he could raise Lazarus from the dead, I bet you he could do some stuff for me. Maybe, just maybe, he is who he says he is. Or at least he can do something that I want him to do. And they began to flock and gather around him, the scripture tells us. Here's the thing about Jesus. Whenever he shows up, whenever he rides in, whenever he is on the scene, he forces us to make a choice. When God shows up, it doesn't matter when or how or how often, you and I always are faced with a choice, just like they were 2,000 years ago. On this Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, when Jesus rode onto the scene, people had to make a choice. It's a spiritual fork in the road. One way goes towards where God wants. The other way goes in their own direction. And it wasn't just about waving a palm branch. It wasn't just about praising him or declaring who he was. You know, it could very possibly be the people who chanted Hosanna 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord may have been the same voices who would a few days later cry out, crucify him. So it wasn't just about the the public praise, but it was about the choice in which they had that they were faced with because Jesus was there. Jesus is forcing them to make a choice and Jesus is giving us that same fork in the road here today. In fact, the crowd that was running alongside Jesus that came into Jerusalem that were faced with that decision, many of them, the scripture tells us, they had a heart, at least, to try to follow him. Luke 19, 37. Look at it with me. When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God for all the miracles that they had seen. They said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They are beginning to make a choice to go down God's path. Now, it's a whole other message to talk about. Sometimes when we make a choice to go down God's path, we begin to see events unfold before us that don't seem so good, and we have choice after choice after choice. Am I going to continue to stay on His path or go on my own path? But it's also astounding to find out that there were people who also saw the same miracles. And instead of taking God's fork in the road, John twelve thirty seven tells us, Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. There's there's two groups. Those who choose to believe in him and those who choose not to believe in him. Choose to obey. Choose to do your own thing. When Jesus shows up, there's always a choice to be made. As we read on, it tells us that Jesus, a short time later, is weeping. Why is he weeping? Because of the people who were faced with this spiritual decision, this fork in the road, and they chose to reject God instead of accept God. He said at one point, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, if you only knew what was in front of you, you would have so chosen peace. Do you even recognize what's before you? Luke 19.44, he's saying, You did not recognize when God himself was visiting you. I just want to park right there for the most of our time this morning. You did not recognize when God himself was visiting you. I want you to ask yourself the question, has God visited you this week? Can you think of a time when you were especially sensitive to spiritual things and you sensed that God was there, that God may be speaking to you, that, that God was present When has God ever visited you? And if he has visited you, which fork in the road did you take? If God shows up on the scene, he always calls for a a decision. Are you going to follow me, pursue me, respond to me, or are you going to go in your own direction? In retrospect, I can look back in my life and I can identify these visitations of God in my life in, in many ways. In some ways, they're every day. But sometimes it's easier for us to get at them at certain crossroads in our life. I want to share four that, from at least my life experience, I've seen these take place where where many of us, not just myself, but many of us begin to see God, we're visited by God, and, and a decision is called forth. The first is this. Sometimes God visits us when we glimpse the brevity of life. When we begin to see how short life really is. We can be aware of God. We can see God. His name was Chad Locke. He was a friend of mine from a while back. And at this point in his life, he was 20 years old. His mom was facing terminal cancer. She was in a battle for her very life. And as 
Her days got shorter and shorter. Chad watched his mom's life begin to slip away like sand through his fingers. Chad was not living right with God at that time. He was aware of God, but he wasn't living in obedience to God. And as he describes that story to me, he said, Brady, as I watched my mom spend her final days where I would have been terrified, where I would have been filled with anxiety, she had peace, she had strength, she had courage. And I began to see what God was doing in her life. And it was as if, Chad says, God was speaking to me, what are you going to have when your life comes to an end? And Chad was recognizing, as he saw how short life was, what was he going to depend on in the final moments of his life. It wasn't that many days ago that we were celebrating the home going of our brother Jim Norris. And in his funeral, it was declared by his family, some of the words that he said in his final days. He said proudly from his easy chair, I ain't afraid of nothing. And we heard a great message that talked about how can you live where you don't have to be afraid of nothing. It wasn't because Jim had it all together, but he had the power of God in his life that took away the fear, that took away the anxiety. And in those moments when you realize how short life is, the bolder, the more confident that Jim began to live because he knew in this life is so short, the next life is so long, he was going to focus on what is important in the next life. Where is it for you today? Has God visited you? And maybe it's when you got some bad medical news. You began to come to the realization that what you banked on of having 70, 80 years of life may not look very probable for you. Are you aware of how short life is? God often visits us when that realization comes to us. Maybe you sat with a friend by their bedside in the hospital where there was a big question mark over their future and it began to cause you to think, what about your future? God is visiting you. There's a choice to be made. How will you respond to his presence when he's there? He calls us to go with him or allows us to have the freedom to go our own direction. Sometimes God does visit us in the midst of our fear, our apprehension. We can see him offering out his hand of hope, offering out his hand of peace of his strength of his courage but it only comes when we choose his path and be obedient to him other times we are faced with this visit from god aware of his presence is as if he is on a triumphal entry into our life he's making his way on the scene in our life and sometimes god does this in the depths of a personal crisis my guess is this next story i'm going to share is probably not your story But if we had time to hear your story of what crisis you had in your life, it would grip our hearts just the same. God shows up often in those times. His name is Kyle Birchman. Kyle was a wild and crazy guy. He loved to party in every sense of the word. He didn't love Jesus. He wasn't a bad guy, don't get me wrong. He was a good guy. He was fun to be around. He was kind of had a contagious personality, but he was known to be a wild crazy kind of individual on this particular day kyle and his family were getting ready to have a surprise birthday party for his mom and so the plan was all the extended family was in the backyard they had an in-ground swimming pool they're hanging around the pool and dad was going to stay in the house and when mom would come home from her errands dad would greet her at the door walk her through the house take her to the backyard the family would be there they'd yell surprise and it'd be a great family gathering 
So while they're waiting for mom to come home, Kyle's in the backyard with the in-ground pool and everybody's swimming and Kyle's doing what he normally does, being wild and crazy and trying to entertain people. And this time he jumps off the diving board. He jumps a little bit too high. He dives a little bit too deep and he hits the bottom of the pool. He strikes his head on the bottom and there's a crunch. Kyle floats to the surface of the water. As the family tells me, their first thoughts is Kyle's just being Kyle again. Playing a joke, giving a gag get, to get a laugh, but one of the family members noticed that this joke went on a little bit too long, and so they dove in and they pulled Kyle out of the water and they rushed him to the hospital and they discovered to their horror that Kyle had broken his neck and he was going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life. I showed up at the hospital the very first time that I met Kyle and he's got these bolts going into his, his skull and he's got these rods coming down from this metal halo trying to hold everything in place, and Kyle says to me, Brady, I need to know if God is, is real. I had the privilege over the next number of months, years really, to journey with the family and with Kyle through the many ups and many, many, many downs. And it was months later that I began to see Kyle make some progress. As we all watched Kyle wrestle with the reality of, of if God was real, if he was there, he not only came to grips that God was real, he came to grips that that God loved him deeply. As Kyle accepted Christ about eight months after the accident, we all witnessed a miracle of a spiritually paralyzed man begin to walk a tremendous adventure with Jesus Christ. And while he never walked on this earth again, he began to journey and run and leap spiritually like we never would have guessed before. I'll never forget Kyle's own words a couple years after the accident. He said, I'm not glad the accident happened. But I was so thankful for what came out of it. I know God is real and I know He loves me. Once again, often in a time of a personal crisis, God will visit you and He presents you with a fork in the road spiritually. Will you choose His path or will you choose to stay on your own? Will you choose to move into obedience of what He calls or will you choose to say, No, not, not now. I don't know what your personal crisis is has been, but often God visits you at those moments. Another category, as I look back at my life, I see in my life and the life of friends around me, we often see God visit us when we long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. It really wasn't that many months after my first meeting with Kyle Birchman, I was with my friend Chris Fleece. He was in his 30s at that time. He was a very successful engineer. He had a very good job. He had a loving wife. He had all the things that he had hoped to have, that he planned to have. But there was something nagging inside of him that there was more. Now, Chris knew God, but by his own admission, he didn't really live for God. As Chris and I journeyed together, he began to surrender his life to God and say, God, I want to give you everything that I am, and I want to live a life led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And as he came to that point, God was leading him. He doesn't do this for everybody, but he was leading him to accept the call into full-time Christian ministry. As he began to pursue that, he already had a, a prestigious degree for engineering. He already had a successful job. He laid that aside, and what caused great challenge and, and obstacles for he and his family began to pursue training to be a pastor and he was making a choice to follow the fork in the road that God had put in front of him. God visited him. 
I don't know if you've ever been involved in a career, whether it's to be the best homemaker that you can be, to be the best mother that you can be, to be the best father that you can be, or to be successful at the office, or successful at the factory, or successful in your sales, or your entrepreneurship, or whatever it may be. But I don't know if you've been so focused in that career that you found yourself so immersed. Your job becomes the very world that you revolve around. It's all-encompassing, all-so-important, all-consuming. Everything takes on huge significance at your job. The next deadline, it appears to be the most important thing that humans have faced through all eternity. You give every ounce that you have to meet that goal. But for Chris, it was almost like God said to him, Don't settle for a trivial, one-dimensional life. You were made for more. You were made for something bigger. Chris answered yes to God. He's now serving as a pastor in Columbus. But, but the real question is not what happened for Kyle or what happened for Chris, but the real question is, have you sensed God visiting you? These categories are the big highlight moments, but he talked to you today. He was doing something around you this week. Are you acknowledging that he was there? Have you ever sensed that there was more to life than what you're doing right now? More than just filling your bag shopping, more than just adding to your portfolio, more than just putting notches on your belt on the goals that you've had in your life. I know that God visit us, visits us in moments when we realize that there's a big difference between success and significance. Every time that God visits you and me, we're faced with the decision, just like on Palm Sunday, will you receive me or will you reject me? Sometimes he visits when we see Jesus in the lives of others. I've shared with some of you this story before, but it was so impactful for me, it bears repeating again, if, if it doesn't help anybody else other than me. His name was Jim. He was a friend who felt God lead him to start a homeless ministry, and we were trying to minister to these homeless people in Columbus, and it wasn't just to pick them up in a van and bring them to church. God asked us to do something really crazy and weird, and we were going to load up the van with people from church and go to them, and we didn't know what we were doing, and so Jim helped us take food, and we thought they're probably hungry and we'll feed them food. And as we fed them food, we discovered that it was really weird to just watch them eat. We thought maybe we need to eat with them, and so we began to eat with them, and as we, as we ate with the homeless there in Columbus, we began to get to know their names, and as we get to know their names, we found out that they had very tangible things they needed. They weren't asking for a million dollars. They weren't even asking for cash. It was things like Tylenol, socks, boots, blanket. Do you have a stocking cap? And we began to write down the needs. And as God brought those things to us, we'd bring them back and we'd call them out by name and we'd give them to them. And, and I'll never forget one day as Jim was there at the table, we were eating spaghetti. And then there was this man, CJ, who we were working with. At this point, CJ didn't know Jesus. And CJ looked Jim in the eyes and he began to speak something that is stuck in my heart. CJ didn't know the Bible. At that time, he didn't know Jesus. But what he said was so close to Scripture, it just about knocked me off my chair. He said, Jim, I was hungry and you brought me food. I needed socks and you brought me socks and boots. You are like heaven to me. I saw in CJ's eyes, he didn't have the ability to articulate what was happening. But as I read between the lines, I began to see that God was visiting CJ. And he saw Jesus through Jim. See, sometimes God visits you through the actions of obedience through someone around you. You may not have been like CJ where you needed a meal, you needed socks, you needed boots. But there was something 
there was some need in your life that God brought someone around you to speak into you, to encourage you, to provide for you, to offer correction to you. And as you receive it, you can acknowledge, God, this is you. When he shows up, we always have a choice. I don't know how you've responded. Maybe you said yes. I think a great many deal of you here have said, yes, Jesus, I want to take your path. But sometimes we say no, not now, maybe later. If you come back again, it may be a better time. Or maybe we said, yes, God, I want to follow you on this path. But as we begin to go down this path, like those on Palm Sunday, this week took a very strange turn of events. And I I was waving the palm branch and saying, Hosanna, but I never, ever anticipated that the one I was singing praises to would be on a cross that the whole political climate would turn against him and that now I'd be called out for just being associated with him and we begin to be tempted to take our own path that diverts from what God is calling. Nonetheless, what do you do when God visits you? There's a choice. And in closing this morning, I want to just share real quickly a few reasons why we should never procrastinate on our answer that God gives to us when He presents the spiritual fork in the road. The first reason that we cannot procrastinate is this. We don't know how many opportunities we are going to have. You just don't know how long your life is going to be. You don't know how many opportunities you have left to respond to God. Jesus tells a story about a very successful farmer. He's making all of these great plans for the future, and he's thinking, how can I build bigger silos to store more stuff? How can I gain more things? I'm very successful. I've got a plan for the long haul. And then God is speaking to him here. We read it in Luke 12, 20. Look at it with me. God says to him, you fool. You fool. This is the very last night of your life. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who's going to get all the stuff that you've prepared for yourself? Friends, don't assume that there's always going to be another time that you can respond to God's visit in your life. Don't assume that, well, there'll just be one more Easter. There'll just be one more Palm Sunday. There'll just be one more God moment where I see Him there. Hey, take advantage of God presenting Himself to you every single time He shows up. You don't know how many more opportunities that you have. Now, this isn't a response that we live in fear. Oh, what if, I, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? I'm kind of afraid for God to show up because I may miss it. That's not how God is. Hey, God wants you to follow His will. God doesn't say, hey, haha, obey me, but my will is like a needle in a haystack. Good luck. That's not what God does. He says, hey, hey, come here. This is where life is, right over here. No, 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 not that there. Come here. Come here. But what happens is we begin to say, oh, thank you. Uh, some other time. Next, next. It's not, well, obey me. See if you can figure it out. He is beckoning to us. Come, follow me. It won't always be easy. In fact, sometimes it'll be very hard, but it will always be good. It will always be what is best for you. Another reason we cannot procrastinate. We shouldn't procrastinate because, friends, you and I will miss irreplaceable time with God. The moments that we have living in obedience to Him, following Him on His path, are so precious, so valuable, that we will never, ever want to waste those or squander them. We'll ask ourselves, why did I not do this sooner? My grandfather on my mom's side was living in 
Kankakee, Illinois, close to the university that I went to school at. My grandmother had just gone to heaven, and my grandfather was living in an apartment by himself for the very first time in decades that he lived by himself. And he found himself charged with the task to get his own groceries at the store the first time in his life. And I'll never forget Grandpa talking about the things he'd find in the grocery store. He was shopping for things, bringing things home that he never knew existed. He loved it. It was awesome. And he found these particular items at the grocery store, and he got a couple of them, and he just began to partake of them and loved them. And see, my grandma was real picky about what could come into the house as far as food and stuff. And so he's like opened up to this whole new world. And, and he would call me on the phone while I was at college. He was right there in the same town, and, and he would call over and over and over. He would leave voicemail after voicemail, and it would go something like this. Brady, ah, I was at the grocery store, and, and I got a bag of barbecue-flavored potato chips. Have you ever had barbecue-flavored potato chips? Grandma never let me have barbecue-flavored potato chips. They are wonderful. Come over to my apartment. I bought an extra bag for you. We need to eat these tonight. Now, it was kind of comical the first time I heard that. But the 10th message in the same day, I'm like, come on, Grandpa, i got to study. i got to go to school. Finally, I'd make my way over to his apartment, and we'd sit there, and, and he would say, oh, open them up. This bag's for you. It's so good. I can't believe I've never had this. I don't even really like barbecue-flavored potato chips, but I, I kind of wanted to like it because he loved them so much. And he was just baffled by the fact. He said, these are brand new, aren't they? They just invented these. I said, Grandpa, I think they've been around my whole life. I, I don't know when they, they came. But Grandma never let him have it. He said, I can't believe I never ate these before. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Friend, I don't know what dances on the taste buds that God has given you. For me, it's not really barbecued flavored potato chips, but it was for Grandpa. But whatever it is that you crave, that you just, ah, the psalmist says, just taste just taste how good God is, and you will have a hunger for Him that you will not be able to deny. It's not like this, you've got to work at it, you've got to really, really strive, just, just taste of the goodness. You'll say, why did I not taste this sooner? Why did I not experience this sooner? You see, when you have really tasted God, when you've encountered God personally, when He shows up and, and you make that choice to go down that path, when you open up your heart and your soul to Him, He becomes real in your life. He changes your priorities. He changes your philosophy. He changes your attitude. He begins to change the relationships or how you view them around you. You begin to say, why did I not choose this sooner? Don't procrastinate on your response to the decision that God leaves out before you when He visits you. You will wish you have followed him sooner. The longer you put it off, the longer you delay, the more sorry you will be on the irreplaceable time that you will miss in fellowship with God. It leads to this third reason I can see why we should never procrastinate. Think of the sin that you would have committed if we would have decided earlier to follow Jesus, the sin that we would not have committed. To think of the, 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 the scars of sin that you never ever would have done in your life. My other grandfather on my dad's side, Grandpa Wiseheart, we prayed for him many, many, many years. My dad prayed for him his entire life. He didn't come to Jesus until the last year he was living and we celebrated that. And there was victory. Don't misunderstand me. If you've got family members you're praying for, don't give up. 
We prayed 70 plus years for Grandpa Wiseheart, and he came to know the Lord. He's with Jesus now. But I'll never forget Grandpa Wiseheart looking at me and saying, I wish I would have done this sooner. And I had nothing to say. Because by that point, we all had lived out the scars of his sin and the pain that he caused from one generation to another. And and we loved him. And and don't misunderstand, there's grace from God. There was healing, and it was good. But, yeah, we all wished you would have done this sooner. And you would have wished you would have done this. Just think of the sin that you would have been spared. Every time we move in disobedience, you know, when God says don't, he didn't say don't, it's going to be fun. I don't want you to have fun. He says don't, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt someone else. And every time we sin, we move into arenas where we are wounded and we wound everybody around us. Don't procrastinate. Just think of the pain that you could, you could spare yourself and those around you. As we come to an end today, I want us to end by what I think is, there's probably many applications for us, but two key categories. There's those of us here today that can say, yeah, I have seen God visit me in my life. I wasn't there like on the original Palm Sunday, but I can see God riding into the scene of my life. And I can begin to see that he's placing before me a a fork in the road spiritually. And I have a choice to make. If you find yourself in the position today, you say, I have chosen to go down the path of God. Then hear me. With, With all of the intensity that I could muster up, it is so important for us as we respond to Jesus, to bring our friends, the people we have influence over, to where they too can visit God, where God can visit them. Now, if you have lived in obedience to God, if you say, I'm choosing the path with God, then this part is for you. So just imagine with me that right here in Fort Wayne, you have discovered the fountain of youth. Let's say there's a fountain of youth. And you have, you have taken a drink from this spring, this this fountain of youth, it just bubbles up. It just came out. Now, not very many people in Fort Wayne know where it's at, but you know where it's at. And it's changed your life. And, and you not only feel youth back in your body, you just feel strength. And it's a powerful thing in your life. But here's the thing with this fountain of youth. It, it goes away, and it only comes up one time a year. It's not there all the time. But you know the date. You know the time. You know the location of where it's going to spring up. What do you think you would do that next year as that date and time is approaching you, you, would, you would tell everybody, you know, hey, hey you've got to come. I, I know where it's going to be. I know what it's going to take place. I know what comes from it. You need to come, be here, and experience this fountain of youth. Friends, it's going on seven plus decades that Easter Sunday after Easter Sunday for decades, God has showed up here at Grace Point, at at Lake Avenue, at Lily Street, decade after decade, doing supernatural work year after year after year. And thousands have been visited by God, and many, many have responded to God. Some of you who are sitting here right now is a result of a gathering on an Easter Sunday where you responded to God. You know the date. You know the time. You know the location. Bring somebody with you who can be visited by God and they will have an opportunity before them to choose life. Now, don't misunderstand. God doesn't just show up one day a year and go away. We can have an encounter with God every day of the year. In fact, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But in our culture, for whatever reason, in its twisted reasoning, people often only give God one or two times where they'll ever encounter Him in a place like this. And there's never an easier time than around Easter, around Christmas, to invite someone with you and say, hey, 
Come on into church. You know the date. You know the time. You know the location. It's not because of the choir. It's not because of the preaching. It's not because of the friendliness of the people. It's because Jesus has made a difference in your life. Do you hear me, church? If Jesus has done something for you, if you've experienced that life, that you've tasted and seen how good God is, may God make your heart burst to bring someone with you. I could care less if we fill seats or do something on some kind of a graph chart. Friend, this is about the eternal destiny of someone around you. God wants to visit with them. Would you play a part in helping them see that? To be real clear, I want to help you the next four weeks. You have opportunity after opportunity to help bring someone in. Next week is Easter. And not only will we have great celebration and worship, but God has put a message in my heart entitled, Everything I Need to Know in Life, I Learned at Easter. It's not just about the historical fact of of Resurrection Sunday, but it's to understand that all I really need in my nitty-gritty everyday life, Monday after Monday after Monday, I can learn in the real-life story of Easter. We're going to look at what it means to us each and every day. The very next week, we'll kick off a a series. We'll hit pause on our study in Acts. We'll come back to Acts. But for the next three weeks after Easter, I'm going to start a new series that's entitled Encounter Jesus. Encounter Jesus, the Lamb. The next week is Encounter Jesus, the Shepherd. And Encounter Jesus, the Carpenter. We're going to look at what happens when we have an encounter with Jesus. It changes everything. And we have an opportunity to choose life, to receive life. May God begin to give you a holy imagination about who it is that you can invite in. And a final thought today. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I don't know that I really would categorize myself as someone who's on the right path. Maybe I've been there, but I find myself on a different path today. I just want to close and say, don't wait any longer. Oh, there's going to be great opportunities to... To visit God and have an encounter with God on Easter Sunday. But why wait to Easter Sunday? You could, you could get right with God today and Easter Sunday could have a whole new meaning for you. And so what I'd like us to do in just a minute, we're going to pray. I'm going to have everybody just stay at their seat. And it's not that important that you confess to me, but it's super important that we confess to God what it is that we're sensing in our life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. For the words that you've spoken to us today. Lord, I I come on behalf of my brothers and sisters here. Who they acknowledge that you have visited them today. You've presented to them a, a choice, a fork in the road spiritually. Friend, if you sense that you are not on the path in obedience to God, I encourage you to pray in your mind after me. It doesn't have to match my words, but... It's really important your heart is clear to the Lord. Jesus, I acknowledge that you are speaking to me today. I want to be obedient to you. I confess that I've chosen my own path over your path, and for that I ask you to forgive me of my sin. With your help, I want you to be in charge of my life. I repent. I'm not just sorry. I want to go your path, your direction. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.
and amen. Friends, I thank you for your great attention today. You are worshiping God with your mind, with your body, your spirit. I can see it in you. I appreciate you diving in today. May God bless you. May you not only acknowledge who Jesus is to you today, may you not only see the good around you and begin to say, is that God? May you not only listen to the words that he has to say to you, may you move in obedience of what he's telling you to do in your life, in your family, in the body of Christ, and in the world around you. But most importantly today, I want to ask you, church, do you believe Jesus is real? Yes or no? Okay, three of you. Let's try it again. Do you believe Jesus is real? Yes? Amen. Okay, good. It's kind of hard because I know this is like a church thing to say. You're like, oh, what am I say? No. Do you believe that Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave? Do you believe that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is living in you and working through you? We got a little bit quieter there. Maybe you're just sick of me asking questions. That probably is what it is. But I think sometimes we begin to forget what this Easter thing is about. That the very resurrection power that we celebrate, when we read, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, there's more resurrection power in us, not for us to control and manipulate to do our own thing, but it's the power to live obedient to what we are talking about. So may you go with the confidence... And the peace that's afforded only by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life. God bless you. You're dismissed.